All right, hello everyone. Welcome to uh, episode of the Hoop Chat. Definitely dusting the cobwebs off this feed. Uh, for those of you who, who've been following this show, you know it's been a while since me or Gabe have hopped on here. Uh, I really just wanted to hop on real quick because, well, first off, I saw today as I was scrolling on Twitter that we've officially reached the halfway point of the season. So, like, we've literally completed 50% of the NBA regular season, which which is kind of funny because you think of the halfway point in it. You think of the all-star break, obviously, but um, if we're just going based off the amount of games played, we've this is literally the halfway point. So with that being said, I just wanted to hop on here and share some thoughts, um, share some numbers on all 30 teams, along with some thoughts. Obviously, I'm going to have more thoughts on some teams than others. Others, you know, it's probably going to be like a 10-second analysis. Others might be a, like the Brooklyn Nets, might be a 10-minute analysis. I don't know. We'll see. But um. Yeah, I just wanted to share some numbers with y'all, and I also, I kind of wanted this episode to sort of be where the numbers meet the eye test for me, and try to make sense of it all, and try to see, you know, or get an idea of what direction some of these teams are heading in as we enter the second half of the season. With that being said, we're going to start off with the home team, at least for most of the people that listen to this show, that's the home team, that's the Boston Celtics. Who, as I sit here today on Tuesday, January 10th, are atop the Eastern Conference with a 29 and 12 record. Um, right now, they are currently first in offensive rating, they are seventh in defensive rating, and they are first overall in net rating. Them being first in offensive rating is kind of impressive because for the last 10 to 15 games, and for those of y'all who you know try to watch the Celtics every night or at least every other night. Uh, you know that it hasn't really been that great, uh, especially on the offensive side. And the numbers back that up because in the last 10 games, they were the 24th ranked offense. So, and, and to me, it's actually really impressive that they're still the number one offense considering for the past almost month, they've been one of the worst offenses. Uh, and that's just A, a testament as to how crazy they were to start the season. I mean, they were, at, they were I think they were literally the number one offense like of all time those first that first month and a half um so it's a testament to that but b it's also a testament to just how you know how this team has sort of matured i think on the offensive end because um i'll, I'll get into how you know things are a little bit different for some of our star players uh versus previous years and i think why that's sort of making the offense hum better um well, one of the main reasons, actually, that the offense has been really good is because they're shooting the lights out of it. Uh, that's sort of cooled down as well, but they're still second in the league in uh, effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage. And those two metrics uh, factor in free throws and three-point attempts and three points made. So, you know, it's sort of a more honest, I think, representation of how well a team is shooting. Um, Tatum, I thought this was an interesting stat. Well, there's two stats with Tatum. The first one is more of a, I, I guess it's interesting, but I think it's more of a, hey, this is why this guy is really an MVP candidate. And it's him being third in the league uh, as far as on-off numbers go, meaning when he's on the court, and this is um courtesy of cleaning the glass, but when he's on the court compared to when he's off the court, what is the level of efficiency that the team is playing at? And... Tatum uh, is the third most valuable player in that regard behind only Steph Curry and Nikola Jokic. And again, that's sort of where the eye test meets the numbers because I think when you're watching Celtics games and when Tatum's not out there, 
you sort of see the offense go into these lows. And I mean, Jalen Brown for as much of a jump and the amount of improvement he's made in the past few seasons, he's, I think it's fair to say he's still not a guy who can just carry an offense through these long stretches. Um, and he's the only other guy that would even come close to that ability. Uh, and obviously Tatum is that guy. So, you know, that it sort of makes sense that he's, well, I mean, it's a real credit to him being third in the league because that just shows you how much of an improvement he's made. But it also tells you how valuable he is to his team. And yeah, I mean, he's he's really he's really grown a lot this season, I think, especially on the offensive end. Defensively, I think he's just it's more of an effort thing and he's, you know, just using his God given abilities more. And that's growth, too. But I think offensively, he's more cerebral in his approaches. And um, another interesting Tatum stat, I think that sort of highlights that is him being sixth in points coming off screens. Um, and this is also a credit to the coaching staff and their ability to use him in different ways and, you know, sort of counter how defenses are guarding him, whether he might, you know, whether there's nights where he's facing a double team, it's okay, we'll just use him off the ball more and have him come off screens and pin downs and all these different actions. And he's sixth in the league in points scored coming off screen. So again, this just going to show the overall growth he's shown on that, that end of the floor, definitely a credit credit to Missoula and the coaching staff and their ability to just, you know, use him in different ways. And I mean, he's playing at an MVP level and the numbers definitely back that up. Last Celtics that I wanted to share with y'all is, um, this is also uh, per cleaning the glass, but the lineup of Marcus Smart, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Al Horford. And this is a minimum of 200 possessions per game. So I think a decent enough sample size. They are the second best lineup in differential at plus 20.3. So when those guys are on the floor, they are they're handling business. They are really taking care of shit. Uh, that's usually the lineup we see to close games. And it makes sense. You know, they, they're so productive. The coaching staff obviously sees that. I mean, there's times where I know I've myself said, why is Brogdon not on the floor instead of Derek White? But you know, Derek White has been really great, I think, especially on the defensive end. I mean, at times it feels like he's our second best rim protector. Um, won't get into that too much. But yeah, that, that five right there is a really good five. I mean, it's the second best five in the league. And yeah, the Celtics are a really good team and they are absolutely title contenders um, as we sit here halfway through the season. All right, next up, we have a team that is very near and dear to my heart for those who know me and you know, who listen to our shows. And that is the Brooklyn Nets, who are currently second in the Eastern Conference with a 27-13 and 13 record, a game and a half behind the Celtics. I think they have, what, the third best record in the NBA or tied for the second best record in the NBA. And it's funny because if you had said any of this two weeks into the season back in October, we all would have thought, myself included, myself included, we all would have thought you were crazy or you're on some sort of drug or, you know, you're just trying to, you know, make some sick joke. Um, but no, it's not a joke. It's it's real. They are really 27 and 13 as we sit here halfway through the season. Um, and that's really a testament to, well, we'll get into the guy that wears number seven who plays for them, who unfortunately, as I'm taping this, he, uh, Injured his knee a few days ago against Miami. 
and those thugs, they'll, you know, a price will be paid for that. But my guy, KD, he injured his knee. He's going to be out for a month. And he's obviously the forefront as to why this team has been doing, you know, so great. Have won 18 of their last 20 games and have, you know, starting to look like legit title contenders. Um, he's obviously the main reason for that. But there's a lot of other factors that play into why Brooklyn has been doing so well. And we'll get into that. First off, I just wanted to share some of the basic stats with y'all. They're currently fourth in offensive rating. They're 12th in defensive rating, and that's going to fluctuate throughout the week. But they're basically a top 10 defense now, and I think that was the real concern. Like, best case scenario for this team, you know they're going to be really good offensively. Obviously, when you have guys like Durant and Kyrie on your team, you're going to probably be a top 5 offense just off that alone. But them starting to creep into the top 10 as far as defense goes I think is surprising and also really impressive and that's a testament to the coach Jock Vaughn and real quick on him I mean obviously Nash got fired two weeks into the season and he's been on the team for the past two years I think before that he was the head coach of the Magic he's played in the league and I just want to give him his flaws real quick because what he's done with this team and the way he's been able to turn this season around and when you sort of hear the press conferences, especially uh, when he first got the coaching job and not just him, but the, the players, um, I think a key word that you would hear a lot is accountability. And that's what he's been preaching the most. And I think that's really made the biggest difference. He's holding guys accountable, but at the same time, he's sort of giving them this freedom to, you know, play and just, you know, I mean... One example, and this is a real deep dive into Nets basketball, not much people, unless you're a Nets sickle like I am, are, are probably even going to, you know, relate to this. But Royce O'Neal, I mean, the amount of times this guy's brought the ball up this year, I don't have any numbers to back this up, but the amount of times in which he was basically the de facto point guard with Kyrie on the floor, with Simmons on the floor, and Durant on the floor, I'm pretty sure it blows any of the amount of times or any usage numbers he's had in Utah the past three or four seasons but it's things like that. It's things like the moment in Toronto in which um, this this went viral a week ago. But when Kyrie, uh, just, excuse me, Jock Vaughn drew up the play for Durant to take the last shot in that game in Toronto. And then you can see the in the huddle, Durant is like, nah, man, I think you should let Kyrie shoot that. And Kyrie's like, yeah, you know, I think I got it. And Durant explained later it's because he felt as if, hey, Kyrie had the mismatch in Van Fleet. And, you know, they were just doubling Durant the whole night and he felt the freedom, again, another keyword, freedom, to sort of just express that in the huddle, like, yo, I think Kyrie should take this shot, and Jacques Vaughn returns that energy and says, all right, yeah, cool, like, if that's how y'all feel, let's do it, and he gives the freedom back to the players, they end up uh, calling the play for Kyrie, and he ends up hitting a game winner, so it's moments like that, and it's also moments like, I remember in one press conference, he was talking about how um, when he took over, the team was dead last in rebounding. And that's part of defense. You know, sort of you finish a defensive possession with getting the rebound. And they were dead last in, in, in rebounding. And he said he had a moment in which he sat every guy down and he went over the rankings in the whole league of where each of, you know, of each of the players ranked as far as box outs. And I think Kyrie was at the bottom of the list and, you know, there were other guys who were pretty low on the list. And he, he brought that stat up in, in, a, in a team meeting. And he said, like, yo, this is where you rank as far as box out goes. Like, you're as bad as, it, as bad as it gets as far as boxing out and getting the rebound. Like, you know, have some pride. Have, have some, 
you know, almost respect for yourself on that end of the floor and, and, and make improvements. And you've seen them go from 28th in rebounding percentage to 9th in the past 15 games. So things like that, him being able to press the right buttons and, you know, sort of know how to get the most out of his players, again, by holding them accountable, but also giving them the freedom. I think finding that balance that he's been able to do as a coach has, you know, it's it's really changed the the season for this team. And yeah, I just wanted to give him his flowers real quick. Um, back to some more numbers for y'all on the Nets. Kevin Durant and Nick Claxton, and you don't really think of Durant as a defensive stalwart, obviously, because of what he does on the other side of the floor, but... He's honestly one of the better defenders we have in this league. And a number to back that up with him and Claxton, they are both first and second in points allowed per isolations. And this is a minimum of 100 possessions. So where teams might think they have Durant or Claxton on the island, really it's the other way around. It's those guys have you on the island. And Claxton, I mean, he's just been insane this year. Definitely a most improved player candidate. Defensive player of the year candidate. He's second in blocks. Durant's ninth. Um, And yeah, I mean, defensively, those two guys have been at the forefront of that. Ben, I'm going to try to keep it positive right now. He's he has moments, you know, where he looks like he's the old Ben and then he'll just have moments where he regresses so badly. And it's really it's really hard to watch, but, you know, I'm not going to get into that too much with him because he's not really the reason why this team is doing that well. It's it's. The two players I mentioned, obviously the main guy, Durant, before the injury, he was basically averaging 30 points per game on 67% true shooting, which is the highest mark ever for someone that was averaging 30 points per game. Um, And that's just ridiculous to be shooting that well with the amount of shots he puts up and the difficulty of shots that he takes, I think, which is more important to mention. He was also, before the injury, first and points per possession as the pick and roll ball handler again not a guy you really think of as bringing the ball up but Jock Vaughn giving him that freedom and obviously it's it's paying dividends there with him uh, leading the league at basically a point and a half points per possession uh, and this is a minimum of three uh, possessions per game as the pick and roll ball handler so you know again a decent enough sample size he's first in the mid-range at 55.4% which is not that surprising if you watch him play Uh, His teammate, Kyrie Irving, is second in the league at 50% shooting from the mid-range. Another Kyrie stat here. He, as of right now, when I, well, when I took the notes down, he was second in the league in uh, fourth quarter points per game at eight and a half. Now he's first in the league at the amount of uh, fourth quarter points that he's scoring per game. So he's just dominating and uh, closing out these games. You know, the game winner in Toronto obviously comes to mind. He had a big shot in the New Orleans game that they played the other day so in the fourth quarter and if it's a close game that's a guy that again when he's available you want him on the floor you want him on your side and another stat i just wanted to shout out my guy utah watanabe who's shooting 54 percent from three and just a laughable 70 percent from the corner and of course some of that is a product of playing um it's a byproduct of playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Uh, I just remember a play again that comes to mind in the Toronto game before the game winner in which Kyrie drove and he drew a double, kicks it out to Utah in the corner for a three that brought the lead down to one. This was before the game winner, the possession before the game winner, literally. Um, So it's a byproduct of moments like that, but it's also just a byproduct of him, you know, just being a really good shooter and, and not being afraid of those moments and 
you know, finding his place on this team and again, just having freedom to let it fly. So yeah, Brooklyn, it's obviously going to be tough with uh, Durant being out for the foreseeable future. They're saying a month now. It's hopefully not going to be as long um, or yeah, he won't miss as much time as he missed last year when it was, I think, six weeks. It's funny. It's literally almost a year to the date in which he injured the knee last year. It's guy just has the weirdest luck in the league but um i think this team is more equipped to handle uh durant absence uh for a multitude of reasons in which i just mentioned and i think they'll be okay i don't they might drop down a few seeds but i don't think it's going to be uh, a situation like last year where they just drop 11 straight and next thing you know they're fighting to be in the play and i, I don't see that happening at all with this team i think the talent is better the situation is better the coaching is better so yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep an eye out on Brooklyn, but definitely have turned themselves into title contenders. Which again, if the year started or even a, a few weeks into the year, you wouldn't even think that's even you know remotely possible. Next up, we have the Milwaukee Bucks, who are third in the Eastern Conference with a twenty-six and fourteen record as of today. Offensively, they've slipped. They've definitely slipped. They are currently, I mean, this is pretty crazy. They're the 25th ranked offense in the league right now. And we'll get into why that's the case. Defensively, they're still pretty good. They're third, and that you know sort of makes sense again when you watch them play and the guys that they have on the floor. But, I mean, offensively, they've really slipped. And I think, well, part of the reason why they've been so bad offensively is because of just the availability of Drew Holiday, but mainly Chris Middleton. I mean, he started off the year with the wrist injury, and that was sort of expected. And they were kind of hovering around top 15 when he was out. But now he's dealing with this knee injury, which, you know, might be his uh, one-way ticket into good dude university. But, yeah, I mean, he's just not played this season. And when you lose a guy like Middleton, who, what, averaged over 24 points per game on 50% shooting in the finals, I mean, he's sort of a guy that's easily forgotten about, I think, sometimes, just in the overall landscape of the NBA. I know Bucks fans will never forget about him. But, um, yeah, you lose a guy like that, it, it, it can sort of, you know, make it hard for their offense to get things going and get into actions and, you know, have other options, especially in the half court when Giannis might be getting double teamed or, you know, the, the whole defense is just shading towards him. And all of a sudden now you're relying on guys like Grayson Allen and uh, Pat Connaughton, who are, you know, decent role players, but their roles have been elevated to the point where, you know, you need them to be the second best player on the floor, especially on the nights when Drew's not there. And he hasn't played much games this season either. So I think the real product of their offense being that bad is obviously because of the availability of their two best guys after Giannis. But, you know, they're still good defensively. And I think that's why the record doesn't indicate that they're just one of the worst offenses in the league they're currently ninth in points allowed in the paint uh they're the best team at defending shots uh within 10 to 14 feet of the basket and that's really a testament to brooke lopez and how good he's been defensively i think he probably would be my pick for defensive player of the year right now i mean he leads the league in the total amount of blocks he's at the top of the league in that He's second in defensive field goal percentage in shots of 6 to 10 feet from the basket. Uh, when he's on the floor, they have 106.6 defensive rating, which is in the 94th percentile. 
I mean, he's just really good defensively. They That drop coverage that they play, he just plays it to a T. It's really hard to score on them in the paint. And, of course, you know, you have that other freak, Giannis, who's playing just the ultimate help defense on the other end, just erasing shit whenever guys try to drive to the basket. So those two guys have really been, you know, holding it down on the defensive end, and that's really what's been keeping this team afloat. And, I mean, it's honestly impressive that they're still third in the Eastern Conference, just two and a half games out of first, considering all the issues that they've dealt with. Um, it's really all I have on Milwaukee. You hope Middleton could get healthy because... You can see how much they're missing him. But Giannis, you have him. You still have a chance. And that's really all you have to know with this team for now. Next up, we have the new and sexy Cleveland Cavaliers, who are fourth right now in the Eastern Conference with a 26-15 and 15 record. Offensively, they are 10th in the league, which isn't bad, obviously. But really, they are... They're making their presence filled on defense on the defensive end where they rank first in the league. When you have guys like Evan Mobley and Jared Allen manning the front court, it it makes sense that this that team is really good defensively. Um the lineup right now of Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Karis Levert. I want you to put a bookmark on that because I have a thought on that in a second. Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are fourth in points allowed per possession. And this is a minimum of one hundred possessions per game. So, I mean, what essentially might be their best offensive lineup, I think, is also their best defensive lineup. And, you know, the numbers show that. Uh, another reason why I think their defense has been really good, obviously, Mobley and Allen are the are the uh, drivers of that. But Darius Garland, but more specifically Donovan Mitchell, the sort of effort that he's making on defense this year and the pride that he's taken where, you know, he used to get killed and deservedly so for the amount of just the lack of defense, I should say, that he was playing in Utah. I mean, I just think about that series against Dallas in which Jalen Brunson was just by him like every other possession. He was by him. The dude was just a traffic home. And you could definitely tell that now he's, you know, taking a honus to, you know, not be a minus defender, actually be a plus defender. And one last stat on Cleveland is they're first in the least amount of points allowed in the paint. So if you're trying to get into the paint, which is really how you want to get your offense going in the playoffs once the game starts to slow down, they are the hardest to score against. And I think that's going to bode well for them come April. I wanted to put a bookmark in the Karis LeVert part of him being in that lineup that was fourth in points allowed per possession because I'm still not sure if they have found their guy to play the three. I know LeVert has probably played the most minutes, especially in crunch time, but that's also because Dean Wade has been out, who I think was starting for them to start the year. Um, they've also shuffled with Isaac Okoro, but I think they're... I think Cleveland themselves are still trying to figure out who the right guy is at that three spot. And, you know, maybe they might be buyers at the market. Who knows? But I think if they really figure that out, that specific spot of the lineup out, I mean, it could just make them that more dangerous. So Cleveland is definitely a team to keep an eye on for the second half of the year. And again, Donovan Mitchell... I really wanted to highlight how good he's been defensively, but the guy just had 71 points the other week. I, I probably should mention that as well. He, 
he's definitely shown the ability to be a number one guy on a title contending team, and that's really impressive to me. All right, next up, we have the Philadelphia 76ers, who as of today are fifth in the Eastern Conference with a 24-15 and 15 record. They are 12th right now in offensive rating, fourth in defensive rating, and we'll talk about that. And overall net rating, they're sixth. Um, them being fourth in defensive rating, and at one point in time, they were second in defensive rating, I think is probably the most surprising stat to me as we reach the halfway point in the year. And I think what really changed for them defensively, and, you know, this is, I guess, sort of the the internal flaw of this team potentially, but it was when James Harden and Tyrese Maxey were both out with injuries and Doc inserted DeAnthony Melton into the starting lineup. And for that other spot, he would sort of play around with either Thibault or Shake Milton, you know, sort of just whoever he thought would be best depending on the, the matchup that night. But specifically when DeAnthony Melton was put into the starting lineup, that's when they really surged defensively. And I think it made life easier on Embiid to be more of a rim protector and not always have to help out on the perimeter on blown Harden assignments or blown uh, maxi assignments because, I mean, let's be honest, that's really not the strong suit of either of those guys' games. But the change, sort of just the energy that DeAnthony Melton has brought to this team on the defensive end. He's he's kind of just like the, the fuck shit up guy. Like he gets in there and he's blowing up pick and rolls and he's, you know, jumping passing lanes. He has like a real knack for timing it. Um, he's providing some solid service on the offensive end too. But defensively, when he was in the starting lineup, and as of right now, even with Maxi being back, um, because Maxi was the other starter alongside Harden in the backcourt. Even with Maxi being back now from the ankle injury, you see that Melton is still starting. And who knows how long that might last. Doc might go back to Maxi. But I definitely think at the very minimum, DeAnthony Melton is going to be a much bigger part of this team going forward. Just, if, just because of what he brings on the defensive end. Um, one last that I had on the Sixers was Embiid being first in points as the role man. And that's obviously a byproduct of him and James Harden just being absolutely unstoppable in the pick and roll. One game that comes to mind uh, is the game they had against the Clippers in which they were down for a, a lot of that game. Like they, they were, There were moments in which they were down 20 and then Harden and Embiid would just sort of lock in. And again, defensively is really how they ignited that run. Uh, but offensively, Harden and Embiid would just, you know, it would be the same notes, pick and roll, pick and roll. And it's, it's really probably the hardest two-man sort of action to guard in the NBA today. And yeah, they're going to be a tough out in the postseason, no doubt about that. But uh, shout out to Anthony Melton, man. He definitely changed their season around, I think. All right, next up, we have the Indiana Pacers, who are the sixth seed with a 23-18 and 18 record. Offensively, they are 14th in the league. Defensively, they are 18th, and overall net, they are 17th, so just about middle of the pack in, uh, in really all of the team stats that matter. Um, the guy that I really just wanted to highlight uh, for the Pacers is Tyrese Halliburton, who's, I mean, he's a walking 20 and 10 now. He has the, he has the best assist-to-turnover ratio in the league with a minimum of 20% usage rate and 20 games played. 
So, I mean, this guy, is, he's the definition of a point guard. He is setting the table up for dudes. He is setting guys up. Guys like Buddy Hield and Benedict Matherin, who I'll share a stat on him, are just getting these great, great looks because of, you know, just his ability to create. I mean, even guys like Miles Turner and uh, it was the other big, they have Isaiah Jackson. I mean, you just see, they probably get like three to four easy dunks a game, whether it's a lob or just a dump off because of him. Like, he's just creating so much offense for them by himself. Um, so, yeah, he's he's been a treat to watch. As of right now, I think he's an all-star for sure. Um, and then another guy I mentioned that I wanted to shout out was Benedict Matherin, the rookie that they have, who is first in bench points right now and first in free throws attempts per game for any bench players. <laughs> and that's a rookie, so... That's obviously impressive, and he, I mean, him and Paolo, I think, were the two rookies so far in the first half of the year that have just stood out to me, where you're like, like, are these guys really rookies? Because it just doesn't look like it. And, um, yeah, one last Benedict stat, is he's second in three-point shooting coming off screen, so he's, you know, there's some there's something there as far as being a shot maker. Uh, obviously, he's able to get to the line so he can initiate offense and, you know, get you fouls, get to the line. That's really impressive. I mean, this this guy's just a really impressive rookie. That's really all that I'm trying to say. Uh, and, yeah, the Pacers, I mean, they, they're the sixth seed right now. They're out of the play-in, which I think for them is that's considered a win, at least, you know, halfway into the season being that good in the standings, I think, I think is a win. Next up, we have the New York Knicks. Seventh seed with a 22-19 and 19 record. As of right now, they are the ninth best offense, which might surprise some people. Definitely surprised me when I was looking this up. And they're the 10th best defense, which isn't as surprising. And overall, they're 8th uh, in net rating. So, I mean, numbers-wise, they're a pretty good team. You know, there's some games that they've sort of just blown, and that's probably why, you know... They, I mean, they could honestly be flirting with a 4-5 or five seed just to, just because of how productive I think they've been on both ends of the floor. But they're 7th for right now. Um, and really the two main guys that you know deserve a bulk of the credit are Jalen Brunson, who was the big free agency signing for them. He's having a career year, averaging just about 20 points per game with 6 assists. And then Julius Randle, who's sort of back on par with his all-star year the year before last year when he was most improved and he's uh you know he's almost having a career year and those two guys are just playing at a really high level they have a nice chemistry going on too there's a lot of two-man games that uh Tibbs will run between the two of them so yeah those two guys have been uh they've been living up to the bill so shout out them uh and then shout out Quentin Grimes who's their rookie uh, and this is a stat that was just sort of mind-boggling, but in a minimum of 600 minutes played. So this is, you know, we're talking about a lot of guys who are playing, like they are out there. He is fourth in defensive efficiency on off. So when he's off the floor compared to when he's on the floor, the Knicks are just completely different uh, on the defensive end. And that is... That's insane because a rookie is the forefront behind that. And you see him just, you know, taking on the best defenders night in, night out. I remember one game that stands out to me was when they played Cleveland, I think, a month ago. And he he had Donovan Mitchell in jail 
for a, a majority of that game. They ended up winning that game. Um, yeah, he's just he's just really impressive on that end of the floor. He he can shoot the three. Um, you know the the off the dribble stuff is obviously a work in progress with him being a rookie, but that that is a that is a player that Knicks fans should definitely be excited about. And Mitchell Robinson, who um, he's been relatively healthy. That's sort of been the knock on him for most of his career. But he's he's been on the floor this year, and he has been dominating when he is on the floor. He is um, he has the Knicks uh, ranked first and second chance points, and he is second and second chance points himself. I mean, and that again, you watch the games, it makes sense. He's just constantly on the offensive glass, whether it's getting tips or you know getting put back dunks. You know, just really playing with high energy on that level. Um, also bringing a, a fierce sort of presence in the paint on the defensive end. I remember that game, uh, the Christmas game when they played Philly. And he was in foul trouble, unfortunately, because that's what guarding Embiid will do to you. But there were a few possessions in which he was really making life hard on Embiid. And that's sort of what he brings to the table. Again, him just being healthy is is a huge plus for the Knicks. And you're kind of seeing the player that he can be when he's on the floor. So yeah, there's some things to be excited about for New York. Again, this is obviously not going to be the championship year for them, but this is, I think, another step in the right direction and, you know, getting back to really being a title contender. It's been so long, and, you know, that fan base is just craving for that. So yeah, uh, positive steps, positive vibes um, in Madison Square Garden right now, and that's another team I think that will probably comfortably make the playoffs, and they they won't be an easy out either. They they play hard and they muck it up, and they're just not fun to play. So, uh, shout out to the Knicks. Next up, we have the eight seed Miami Heat, who uh, currently have a twenty one and twenty record, just a game above five hundred. They have the twenty fourth ranked offense right now. Um, their defensive rating right now would rank eighth in the league, which is really what's been keeping them afloat and um overall net rating they are 19th in the league uh i mean it's been a pretty weird season for them obviously you hear how bad they are offensively and you know when jimmy butler who's missed what 13 games up till now when that's sort of the headline and what i start with it you know it kind of makes sense why they aren't that good offensively um, and that's sort of just been his career in Miami. He's in and out during the regular season, but then all of a sudden it becomes the postseason and he's a top five player in the league. He's just a weird, weird guy. But um, with Miami, well, first I want to give a shout out to Bam Adebayo, who I think just uh, before the Nets game this past Sunday was the first time in his career in which he had three straight games of 30 plus points and 10 plus rebounds. And that's also giving you defensive player of the year ability on the other end. Um, so he's just been awesome for them this season. Uh, and then Tyler Hero is another guy who I wanted to shout out. A stat I have on him is he is currently fifth in the league in points per possession as the primary pick and roll ball handler. And this was after last year, um, him being ranked 26th in the league. So he's obviously made a huge jump in that area. And, um, you know, kind of, it makes sense with the eye test. When you watch Heat games, he's really the guy who's initiating a lot of the offense. When they go on these runs, it's because he's the guy that's really starting it. And he has, uh, he's made a real jump offensively. I think, uh, at least for me, I can say when his, when he first came into the league, I mean, I know he had that, 
game against Boston in the playoffs uh, in the bubble in which he just went off for like 37 points, I think. It was some crazy shit. But I kind of saw his ceiling as just being like a, maybe like a Clay Thompson, um, you know, sort of 3 and D guy, catch and shoot, don't ask too much from off the dribble. But that's clearly not the case this year. He's shown that he is way more capable than just being a catch and shoot guy. He's like a legit, like this guy can legitimately run an offense for uh, for stretches. Um, I think for them, it's just about having guys available. Once Jimmy sort of gets back into his routine, I think you'll see the offense get better overall. Defensively, they're always going to be the terrorists that they are, where they're just, I mean, part of it is really annoying because it's Kyle Lowry just out of nowhere, just jumping into the fucking paint and trying to take a charge. Or Jimmy Butler just, you know, doing all types of trickery. Like, they're really an annoying team, but I'm sure their fans enjoy it. And, uh, you know, they're always usually there at the end, which is, it's crazy. Like, they're the ninth seed, they're the 10th seed, guys are in and out. And then come April, like, it's them and, like, three other teams left standing in the East. So, that's a team, they're not doing too good right now, but, you know, not really concerned about them. I think they'll they'll have something to say come come April. The current nine seed right now in the Eastern Conference is the Atlanta Hawks, uh, with a record of nineteen and twenty-one. That's obviously disappointing if you're a Hawks fan. They're twenty-second in offensive rating, fifteenth in defensive rating, and twenty-fifth in net rating. Um, and really, the only thing I really have to say about the Hawks is just the sort of rough year that Trey Young is having. I know he's still twenty-seven and ten, and that's obviously really impressive considering that's considered a down year for him but I mean he has been really really cold when it comes to shooting the ball it's career lows across the board from him he's shooting 41 percent from the field and what's really even scarier than that is shooting 31 percent from three I mean that's almost Giannis numbers and this is a guy that's supposed to be you know, Steph is in a world of his own, obviously, but I think after Steph, it's like Dame, Trey, you know, Clay. Those are sort of the the next level of guys that you consider like the best shooters in the league. And he's, I mean, he's playing like, or he's shooting like the worst player in the league. And it sort of starts there, and then the 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 drama with him where he's missing games, and you know going at it with reporters and Nate McMillan talking about he's ready to retire after the season. I mean, it's a mess in Atlanta. Uh, defensively, I think where they're really struggling is protecting the paint. They're currently 26th in the league at that. And, you know, part of that is because Capella has been in and out of lineups, but then also you're, you're asking John Collins to protect the paint. And that's really, you know, he, he's sh- shown very little interest in doing that. Um, it's just been a rough year in Atlanta. The only really bright spot, I think, for them, well, one would be having uh, Bogey back in the lineup. He's healthy again. I guess that's sort of a bright spot. But it's the rookie, A.J. Griffin. He's been lights out for them. Uh, I think a case can be made that he should be in the starting lineup over DeAndre Hunter, who's another guy who just, you know, it just depends on the night in which you tune in. And there's nights where he looks amazing and a potential all-star down the line, and there's other nights where you literally forget he's on the floor. But the rookie A.J. Griffin, I think, has been a bright spot for them. He has, like, two game winners this season. He can do a lot of stuff offensively and defensively. He's just a really good young player. So something to sort of 
smile about. Their other rookie, Jalen Johnson, is pretty good, so he doesn't play as much, but he's shown some things. But overall, I mean, it's definitely been a disappointing year for the Hawks, and you hope they can turn it around, but I don't know. It's it's a tough Eastern Conference. It's not going to be easy. Next up, we have the 10th seed Chicago Bulls with a current record of 19-22. and 22. Right now, as it stands, they are 15th in offensive rating and 20th in defensive rating with an overall net rating of uh, uh, being ranked 20th in the league. Um, really, I mean, this is another team that's been disappointing, obviously, like Atlanta with the amount of talent that they have on the floor. And I think you really have to look at the year Levine is having, and that's, I think, why they haven't been sort of gelling offensively. And also part of that could be with Lonzo not being in the lineup and not having that point guard to sort of make sure everyone gets involved and the offense is flowing. I mean, they basically have DeRozan running point guard. Sometimes it's Caruso, but... Levine this season is having his lowest um, uh, effective field goal percentage at 53%. That's his lowest since the 2017-2018 season. And that's really, you know, before he was even really, I guess, considered a perennial all-star. And you can just tell in games, like, he doesn't really know how to insert himself sometimes. He's just sort of just standing there watching DeRozan play. I remember uh, in a game against Atlanta... A few weeks ago, just a battle of the two, uh, the two sickos, in which it went to overtime, and Levine like literally would get the ball and immediately just chuck up a three, and then he had one possession in which he drove to the basket, and I wish I could give you all the numbers on the difference in, you know, points per possession with him driving versus him shooting, and I'm sure it's just like, I'm sure it's just night and day the difference between those numbers, but like there was one possession in which he drove to the basket and he got to the line, but then. The next three possessions, he would just settle for the three. And he's it's been a lot of settling for jump shots with Levine. Um, and, you know, he had a he had a moment against the Celtics last night. They still ended up losing, of course. But, yeah, just the year he's having and sort of the fit on that team uh, next to DeRozan, I think I have a lot of questions on that, if that's really going to be a good long-term marriage for them. And it's another team, you know, before the trade deadline, you wonder if they're going to be sellers and you know if that's a potential blow up and I don't know there's a lot of pieces maybe teams like Milwaukee Brooklyn and Boston could sort of pick a pick away at sort of the pieces that they have but yeah it's um it's it's been rough in Chicago and I don't really seeing it getting better anytime soon all right next up we have the 11 seed Toronto Raptors with a 17 and 23 record um I mean this team is just a mess on both ends of the floor. They're 19th offensively, which it's almost crazy to me that they're even in the top 20. Defensively, they're they're 13th, which I guess kind of makes sense, you know, considering the sort of terrorist-like defense that Nick Nurse throws out every night where he's just literally, he'll literally just sell out on your best player and and force other guys to beat you. And, and, you know, more times than not, the NBA is so talented that those other guys will beat you. And that's probably why they're losing the amount of games they're losing. Um, a stat here, they are ranked 29th in half-court offense at 90 points per 100 possessions. So, And then they're also 23rd on the defensive end in that, in that metric. So there's just nights on offense where there's like four, five, six straight possessions where they're just not scoring. Like it, it, It's just a mess. And it sucks because um, it sort of takes away from the year Pascal Siakam is having. 
I mean, he's basically 26, 7, and 8, getting to the line eight times per game. He's just having such an amazing year. He probably should be an all-star, but it might be tough for him to make it just because of that record and some of the other guys in the East who are maybe not as good in the same ballpark, but just a way better record. And a guy like Julius Randle comes to mind. But, um, yeah, he's a guy I wanted to highlight real quick because he's having a great year. OG Ananobi, another guy I wanted to highlight. He um, is a defensive player of the year candidate, honestly. He's first in, steal first in steals, second in deflections. And that's another guy, similar to Chicago, I think if they blow it up, which there is a real possibility that they might before the deadline, a lot of people are going to be in the market for OG. I mean, he's just a, you know, the prototypical guy you want on your team, a long wing that can guard and hit threes and, you know, create some offense by himself. Sometimes you really don't want him doing too much of that, to be honest. But, um, yeah, on the defensive end, he's just been a stalwart. And then uh, the Scotty Barnes sophomore slump is a thing that is happening. It's not something I'm too concerned about. I was a little concerned about. There was a clip the other day of him and Thaddeus Young, Thaddeus Young almost basically about to get in a bang out during a shoot around. I don't know what that was about. But um, he's been really struggling this year, especially with his shot. But again, this dude is, what, 21 years old, 20 years old. I'm not too concerned about him. I'm not really too concerned about the individual pieces in Toronto. It's, it's just sort of the collection of guys where, you know, it's just not enough to bring them over the top and I don't know Nick Nurse is a guy who I've always thought was one of the best coaches in the league but this season it's not been the case I mean he hasn't really made a good case for himself even being one of like the you know better half and as far as coaches goes but uh yeah another team rough year uh keep an eye out on them for a potential blow up and again if they do there will be a lot of buyers for some of the talent that they have. All right, next up, we have the Washington Wizards, who are the current 12 seed with a 17-24 and 24 record. It's been a rocky season for them for the most part, um, mainly due to injuries. Bradley Beal has been in and out of lineups. He's currently dealing with a hamstring injury, I believe. Uh, Rui Hachimura, who missed the first 16 games of the season, he's finally back and starting to you know, coming to his own. It's it's actually kind of funny and ironic, I guess, at the same time that probably their most uh, reliable guy this season has been Porzingis. And for anybody who knows his history, just, you know, that's a guy who you can rarely depend on to be out there. But he, he's been out there and I have some stats on him um, as well as some other guys. But really the first guy that jumps off the page for me when I look at the Wizards is Kyle Kuzma, who's averaging 22 points per game. He is just playing with so much confidence on both ends of the floor, but especially on the offensive side. He has uh, turned himself into this 3 and D guy who can kind of create his own shot, but, you know, he just, you know, he just has found this really nice balance of not overdoing it, um, but at the same time, when you need him to get shit done, like, he'll do it in, in the games that Beal has missed. Um... One other stat that jumped out to me while doing some homework on the Wizards was the lineup of Monty Morris, Bradley Beal, Denny Advia, Kyle Kuzma, and Christophe Porzingis, which is probably their best lineup, is 8th in offensive efficiency, and this is a minimum of 200 possessions per game, so a decent enough sample size, and they're 7th in overall differential at plus 14.7, so... When all their guys are out there and you throw in Rui into the mix and I have a stat on him afterwards, like they're a pretty solid team, especially on the offensive end. 
Um, but it sucks because these guys, you know, it's it's asking for a lot, it seems, to have everyone out there on the floor at the same time for them. Uh, Rui, who I had mentioned, uh, he missed the first 16 games of the season, but since coming back, he's averaged 18 points per game on 67% shooting from the field. And you like to sort of see that from a young player. He's sort of making a leap and becoming uh, more able off the dribble. He was always sort of able to shoot and be the catch and shoot 3 and D guy, but now he's creating more off the dribble and that's been impressive to see. And probably the real highlight for the Wizards has been the year Porzingis is having. He's having a career high in free throws attempted per game at 6.8. And then amongst centers, he ranks third in shots attempts per game coming off screens at 5.3. And you've heard uh, him and Wes Unsell, their head coach, sort of talk about different ways in which they're trying to use Porzingis, in which he's coming off screens more and he's catching it you know, at a good position, sort of at the elbow, almost in the paint. And, you know, when he's coming off screens, teams love to switch. That creates mismatches. And he's sort of getting back down low into the paint, uh, similar to how he used to play in New York when he was just really a, a dominant player in this league. So it's good to see him sort of get back to that form. And he's been having a really good season. But, yeah, overall, I'm sure the Wizards fans are disappointed that, you know, they're, what, the 11th seed right now when you thought they should you know, could or 12th seed, I should say, when you thought they could probably flirt around a 7-6 a seed. But again, halfway mark of the season, we have another 50% of the season to complete. And that's a team I think that can make a run going down the stretch. All right, we have now reached the portion of the Eastern Conference that I like to call Wembin Yama Land. And these are just teams that are straight up tanking and, you know, in the mix of getting Wemby. Uh, we can start off with the Orlando Magic, who are currently 13th in the league or in the eastern conference with a 15 and 26 record uh, right now they currently rank as the 23rd best offense in the league defensively they're 24th overall net rating they're 26th um obviously a really young team so you you know you're not you know crying if you're a magic fan that they're not world beaters right now um and they, they really do have some young talent paulo He's 11th in the league right now at free throws attempted per game. This is not amongst rookies. This is everyone in the league. Like He is basically a top 10 guy in the league right now at getting to the line. And he's making them at an 83% clip. So he's knocking them down. I mean, that's just eight free points for a guy that's not even 20 years old. That's, that's insane. Uh, Franz is first in second-year players and finishing talent. And this is courtesy of Basketball Index. Uh, this stat is measured by the average between um, a guy's ability of getting to the rim and finishing at the rim on a scale of 0 to 100. And Franz is as good as they get for sophomore year players in that metric. So you have two wings that are just really just budding with talent, so much potential. And that's sort of the future of the league. It's a wings league. You hear that a lot. And the Magic have two really good ones. Um a guy that I would sort of keep an eye out for when it uh, when we get closer to the trade deadline is Gary Harris. He has two years left on his deal at 26 mil. He's a team best plus 6.6 on on-off efficiency on the offensive side of the ball. So he's, uh you know, sort of uh, rising his stock again, I guess, for lack of a better term. And I think that's a guy who the Magic 
no no real incentive to keep him. They might sort of sell him for maybe for another draft pick or something. And there's a lot of teams that could use a guy like Gary Harris. And um, not really a stat on this lineup, but Franz, Paulo, Bobo, and Wendell Carter, that's just a really intriguing lineup. They played a lot. And when you see them out there, it's, you know, they actually are competent on both sides of the ball. I mean, defensively, it makes sense. You have all that size and length and you're able to switch. And Bo Bowl is another guy, you know, I, I'm sure Magic fans say, we've heard them say they have their own Wimbanyana and him and he's having a great year, most of, most improved player candidate for sure. But they they just have a lot of wings, like a, a lot of young, talented wings. Wendell Carter has made a name for himself again. They have Jonathan Isaac coming back soon, and that's a guy who hasn't even played since I think I've been in high school. I've graduated college since, um, but it's another guy who's young and just an insane defensive talent whenever he is out there. So yeah, a lot of young talent on this Magic roster, and you, if you're a Magic fan, I you kind of like where you're at. You're probably going to get a good draft pick with the amount of young talent you have, and it's, it's really only up for them. Next up, I have the Charlotte Hornets. Um who are 14th with 11 and 30 record. Uh, they are dead last in offensive efficiency. They're 26th in defensive efficiency and they're 27th overall in net. Um, just some LaMelo stats for y'all. He's averaging 24, 8, and 6. Um, he takes a lot of threes a game at 11 three-point attempts per game. I mean, that just feels like a lot. He's making them at an okay clip, but... I don't know. I think there's a lot of times where he's just taking bad shots where I think the improvement for him or room for improvement is just better shot selection. And he's young, so it's nothing you worry about too much. Um, as a creator, though, he's made a real leap. He's, uh, he's taken a real leap in that in that field, actually. He's in the 98th percentile as far as open shots created. So he's starting to, I guess, understand the importance of the you know your teammates and using his God-given abilities to create open shots for them. And that's that's sort of been exciting to watch. Uh, defensively, he obviously has a lot of work to do still. Um, he fouls just a shit ton. Just a shit ton amount of stupid fouls that I see from him when I watch their games. But um, yeah, he's, he's obviously a special player, really young, and he's only going to get better. And a quick shout-out for Dennis Smith Jr., who was balling out before his injury. When LaMelo, who missed most of the season was out of the lineup it was Dennis Smith who was like winning a lot of games by himself I remember the game against the Warriors in which they won and it was because of him he hit a game winner and then had a defensive possession on Curry and you know he was just really great to start the season hopefully he can get back to that form coming back from his injury and uh, Mark Williams they're starting to play him more and he's uh yeah I'm just gonna keep an eye out on him because he was really fun when I was doing my draft studies on him watching him at Duke and yeah, Hornets another team, you know, really young, so you're not too worried. The whole Miles Bridges situation, we'll see how that plays out. But, um, yeah, it's a team that's probably going to end up with a high draft pick. I mean, Wembenyama on that team sort of intrigues me. It's not the best team, I think, for, you know, viewership purposes for him to land on. I think there's some funner options, but... Um, yeah, they're they're obviously in the hunt for Wemby, and then last I have the Detroit Pistons, eleven and thirty-two. They are just taking taking to a different level. I just remember the game against the Clippers in which they were up twelve, I think, with like two minutes left, and you blink, and next thing you know, the game is in overtime, and Paul George is is icing the game at the line. So they're they're really taking the the tank for Wembenyama race serious. Um, 
Kate is out for the year, so that's unfortunate. But it's um, on the other side of that, it's given more opportunities for Killian Hayes, who I think has improved. Uh, Jaden Ivey and uh, Jalen Duran, the two rookies, have been really impressive. Duran leads all rookies in rebounding. And then, um, yeah, other than that, a uh, uh, quick shout-out for Isaiah Stewart, Beef Stew, who went from his his jump has actually been impressive. This is the one I guess stat that I had on this team. He went from 0.9 drives slash 0.4 points per game on those drives, shooting at 33%, to now averaging four drives a game, averaging almost three points on those drives, and shooting 52.4%. So just a huge leap for him in that area. And uh, from the three, he went from shooting 33% last year to 37% this year. So that's just really cool to see a young player, um, you know, really develop as as we're watching him in real time and uh, sort of like, you know, develop with the times, understanding where the league is heading and how he can sort of improve on certain areas and, you know, become a valuable asset for a team. So, yeah, shout out Beef Stew. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see who ends up with the first pick. Between those three teams, there's some teams in the West that have uh, that might have something to say about that as well. But that wraps up the Eastern Conference. We're now going to jump into the West. All right, we're going to start off the Western Conference with the one-seed Denver Nuggets, who right now currently sit as the second-best offense in the league. Um, and they're just literally tied with Boston for offensive rating. So they could easily be number one by the time this episode is out. Defensively, that's where they really struggle. And, um, you know, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit. But they're 23rd defensively. Uh, but just because that offense is so good, they're still 7th in net rating. And, I mean, we all know the reason why that offense is as dominant as it is is because of who I think is the MVP right now. And if that holds true, it would be his third straight MVP. Uh, it's Nikola Jokic, who right now is first in all the on-off numbers. He's first in all the Raptor numbers, which just measures efficiency and sort of filters out all the nonsense box score stats. He's uh, 64.3% in effective field goal percentage, which is number one in the league of guys averaging at least 20 points per game. He's sixth in assist percentage. That's only trailing guys like Halliburton, Luka, Harden, John Moran, and Trey Young. So point guards who just, you know, that's their job. He basically is right in that category with them. You can argue that he's probably the most talented passer out of the bunch outside maybe a Luka and Harden. Um, but Jokic, is, he's just insane. He's two weeks removed from having a 40-27-10 game against Charlotte. Um, I mean, the guy, is it's crazy he's having... A better year or just I honestly you could say he's having a better year than his other two MVP seasons and that's that's really hard to wrap my mind around but it's it's happening and it's uh it's it's crazy um one guy I also wanted to shout out is Aaron Gordon who is third in points per 75 possessions scored via off ball um via off ball movement and he's 61 percent field goal percentage and 68 percent from the field on twos so he is having a really good year this of course is a byproduct of playing with Nikola Jokic but he's also really adapted his game to you know I think levels in which he's just matured I mean in Orlando he used to just take the worst shots and there was just times where you know you just chuck up threes and just clearly look for his but now I think when you play next to a guy like Jokic that 
sort of energy and just uh, approach to the game, I think rubs off on the teammates. And I think it's rubbed off on Aaron Gordon the most. And he's also kind of, you know, headed the charge defensively for them, usually guarding the best guys. He, and there's no stat on this, but he probably leads the league in put-back dunks, followed by just a violent scream at the defender. Um, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he's at the top of that. Uh, Bruce Brown, one of their free agent signings, he's 41% from three, which is a career high. He's obviously been great for them. Him and Jokic, the inverted pick-and-rollers, have just been a joy to watch. They clearly have a chemistry um kcp has been really good for them just another guy again a defender that like the defense isn't as good and it's i mean it's it's really complicated when it comes to the nuggets and sort of how they play defense because really honestly the the elephant in the room on why they're poor defensively is because Jokic is usually the guy that's getting hunted on a lot and that's why you know i have question marks on how deep of a run they can make into the playoffs and you know if they have a finals run in them if you know your best player on the floor is also the guy that's getting hunted the most um and then another reason why i have some reservations on this team even though they're really good and they are title contenders um but my reservations also uh stem from michael porter jr and jamal murray i mean michael porter jr again He's dealing with injury issues. He's recently come back and has looked okay, but it's a guy who's just, you know, in and out of lineups. And Jamal Murray, I, I think it's taken him a little bit to sort of, I mean, he's really not even there yet. So the guy that you want him to be bubble Jamal Murray's, but I'm sure what comes to mind for a lot of people, like he'll have moments where he, you know, it looks like in his head, he sort of remembers that, oh, I'm Jamal Murray. But then there's other moments where he'll just, you know, kind of look like he shouldn't be on the floor. So them navigating that throughout the year, throughout the second half of the season is going to be interesting. But again, with all those question marks for them uh, to still be the one seed and basically the best offense of the league, that all goes back to Jokic and how just brilliant he is. Um, but yeah, this is a team that I think uh, they're going to they're gonna win a lot of games, but you sort of want to see what happens in the postseason with them. And that's that's going to be very interesting, I think, this year if they stay healthy more than uh, any other year. All right, next up we have the two-seed Memphis Grizzlies, who, as of right now, they have the same record as the Denver Nuggets at 27-13, and 13, but Denver has the tiebreaker, and I think they've won more conference games, so that's why they're one and Memphis is two right now. Offensively, they're uh, ranked 11th. Defensively, they're second, and that's really what stands out, obviously, and, and net rating, they're third, so only behind Boston and Cleveland as far as net rating goes. And this is a this is a really good team. Um, some stats that jumped out to me, I guess I'll start with Ja, who's gone from just under five points per game on pull-ups to now about seven and a half points per game on pull-up shooting. So he's clearly added to that part of his game in the offseason. And I mean, he's already just a handful when you, you know, just trying to stay in front of him and trying to keep him out the paint, which literally no one in the NBA can do. But now, if you're adding the pull-up shot to the element, uh, I mean, it, it just you don't even know what the guy's ceiling is, honestly. So him improving in that area is a little bit scary for the league. Um, and then on the other end, it's, this was kind of funny, I thought, and it was worth mentioning up, Desmond Bain. So the way Ja has improved as a shooter, Desmond Bain, who has 
for most of the season, been their second best player, has improved on drive significantly. He's gone from under three points per game on drives to above five points per game on drives. So there you have two young guys who have really improved in areas in which they were weaker in. And I mean, that's just really encouraging when your two young guys who are also probably your two best players. You can throw in Triple J in the mix and I have some stats on him. But when your young guys are, you know, just clearly showing the ability to improve in areas in which they uh, might struggle in or, you know, won't be or isn't a strong suit of their game. That's just really encouraging, not only for now, but for the future. Um, I mean, and Desmond Bain, before his toe injury, he was playing at an all-star level. So, yeah, shout out him. And then Triple J, I mentioned him. He uh, is another guy, Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Right now, I think there's it's really a four-man race between Brooke Lopez, Nick Claxton, OG Ananobi, and I think Jaron Jackson Jr., once he gets more games under his belt, is is going to have a strong case in that in that race as well. Right now, he currently ranks third in defensive field goal percentage, and that's a minimum of five field goals attempted against a player per game in a minimum of 20 games. So I try to filter it out to, you know, get a good enough sample size. Um, he's first in blocks per game at 3.1. I guess him and Nick Claxton, they've sort of gone back and forth. I might have even mentioned that Nick Claxton was first in blocks per game. But, well, I think Nick actually, in the games... Uh, Above 25 games, Nick Claxton would be first. But in Jaron Jackson's case, with him playing 20 games, he would be first at 3.1. I think Claxton's at like 2.9. So he's just a racing shit at the rim. But he's also have shown the ability to get out in the perimeter and guard guys. I remember the Golden State game, and this was on Christmas, where he was... He stopped the drive. I forgot who tried to drive. And the ball sort of swung around like it always does in Golden State. And it got to Jordan Poole. And then Jaron Jackson is just out on the perimeter guarding him, staying in front of him. And then Poole swings it to, I think it was, um, man, I forgot his name. The player from Vermont. Uh, I'm blanking on his name. What's his name? I'm going to have to look this up in real time. I'm not going to edit this out because I want to show that, you know, we, we, we have these uh we have these moments sometimes what is his name I'm, it's gonna come to me before i look it up uh anthony lamb yes that's what it was so yeah pool got locked up by jaron jackson jr and then jjj or sorry jordan pool swings it to anthony lamb and then triple j just contests that three forces a miss and that was just like a, what the fuck was that possession from him and i mean he's just doing that on a night-to-night basis so he's honestly just an insane presence on that end of the floor. Him and Steven Adams are first and second and lowest field goal percentage at the rim in the past 15 games. Um, and then one last shout out for the Memphis Grizzlies is shout out David Roddy, who's their rookie, found himself in the rotation. I told Gay that this guy's probably if like if Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks had a baby, it would be David Roddy. <laughs> he kind of does what both of them do. He, he gets scrappy on the defensive end which is, I guess, the Dylan Brooks gene in him. And then offensively, he's like knocking down threes, creating off the dribble. I think uh, the game in which they played Milwaukee, in which they blew them out, this was a few weeks ago, he was like just getting to the rim at will. And Milwaukee was like, okay, we actually can't stop this guy. Let's switch to a zone. And then he starts knocking down threes against the zone. I mean, he's He's really good. It's another hit that they found in the draft. So shout out to that uh, management. They clearly know what they're doing in that field. And um, yeah, the Grizzlies, that's another team that's going to be right there when it's all said and done, I think, in the West. 
Um, yeah, I, I, they are real title contenders. I, I would definitely watch out for them. I mean, they're the two seats, obviously, right? But yeah, shout out to Memphis there. They're a fun watch. All right, next up, we have the New Orleans Pelicans, who are third in the Western Conference with a 25-16 and 16 record. Um, and that record is probably the most basic stat, but the stat that actually jumps out to me the most because when you think about the amount of games Brandon Ingram's missed, uh, Zion's obviously out now. I mean, they're really their best guys just missing so much games, and you know they're somehow still able to string together these wins. Sort of reminds you of Memphis last year when Jaw was out, and you know that team was still able to stay afloat. New Orleans sort of doing the same thing this year, and um, offensively right now they ranked six. Uh, defensively, they're fifth, and overall net rating, they're fifth. So they're doing it on both sides of on the floor. Zion, unfortunately, and you know this is it feels like every year you have to mention if he stays healthy, you know it's going to be insane. But this is what third straight season we're having this conversation. But when he was on the floor, he was the fifth player in NBA history to average twenty five points per game on sixty percent shooting, and that trails only Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal. Kevin McHale and Will Chamberlain. So, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the kind of guy he is when he's on the floor. Uh, another stat: Trey Murphy. He went from averaging five points per game to thirteen points per game. He uh, went from shooting thirty nine percent from the field to forty eight percent from the field, and he went. And right now, he's currently shooting forty one percent from three on just about six point three attempts per game. Uh, trigger splash, Trey deserving of the nickname it's uh it's been fun to watch his growth and then uh cj mccullum no stat on him but he's sort of been the constant on that team that's played most of the games you know he's keeping the offense afloat he's he's uh he's really playing at a high level honestly it's it's gonna tough gonna be tough for him to make an all-star just because of how stacked the west is but uh he definitely has a case he's been playing at that level and yeah shout out cj man he's, he's doing his thing uh, that savvy vet um, yeah, that's all I have on the Pelicans, though. You just hope Zion can stay healthy. You just really hope this team stays healthy. All right, next up, we have the Dallas Mavericks, who are the four seed right now with a 23-18 and 18 record. Offensively, they are seventh best in the league. Defensively, they are 22nd, and they have a 10 overall net rating in the league. Um, really, the stat that popped out to me was how dominant Luka's been in the pick and roll. I mean, he's first in points. He's first in overall offensive Raptor. Um, and the the two-man combination of him and Christian Wood ranks first in uh, points per possession in the pick and roll. And then the second best, uh, or I guess most efficient two-man tandem in the pick and roll would be him and Dwight Powell. So, yeah, he's just a he's just a one man wrecking wrecking crew on that end of the ball. Um, Dallas has also been the second most efficient half court offense, scoring at just above one points per possession. Again, uh, just a byproduct of Luca and his brilliance. Um, and then a stat I also uh, found interesting was since starting, Christian Wood is averaging twenty points per game, nine rebounds, and two blocks, which would be top three in the league while shooting 52% from the field. So he's sort of found his footing with this team. He's, uh, you know, sort of taken pride on the defensive end, which was always the question mark with him. But I think Dallas fans sort of felt as if Jason Kidd wasn't going to let him slack on that end of the floor, and you can you can see the results of that. 
Um, um, and yeah, I mean, there's obviously questions on how this sort of heliocentric way of basketball is going to translate into the postseason, but I don't know. I mean, they, they've managed to come from at one point being out of the play-in to now being a top five seed and just continuing to win games. You know, Luca's obviously the reason for that, just being the one-man show he is at times. And I think that's the key word, one-man show, like... That's you kind of can't have that in the playoffs. I think the addition of Christian Wood definitely helps, but I don't know. When it comes to the postseason, I think having a guy like Jalen Brunson will be missed. Just a guy that can sort of create offense for you. And I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I think this team definitely has potential. Obviously, when you have a talent like Luca, you do, but there's definitely some question marks for them. And we'll and we'll see how the second half of the year plays out for them. All right, the fifth seed right now is the Sacramento Kings with a 21 and 18 record. Right now, they currently rank as the fourth best offense in the league, which is, I mean, that, that is that's that's not a fluke. They are that good on the offensive end. Defensively, they're 25th. You know, that's some cause for concern. But um, and overall, right now, net rating, they would rank 13th. They just slipped. They were like 12th a day ago. Um, one stat that jumps off to me with the Kings is how good Sabonis has been. Right now, he's averaging 1.19 points per possession and a minimum of eight half-court possessions per game. And that trails only Steph Curry. So he is generating points for you in the offense, whether that's off assists, whether that's off points, you know, him being sort of the hub of the offense. Just dribble handoffs with De'Aaron Fox, guys playing off of him, or, you know, taking the ball down himself, posting up, hitting the little 15-footer, getting to the line. I mean, he's honestly been really impressive this year. I think he's definitely an all-star. Another guy I think that deserves some love is De'Aaron Fox, who's having, um, he's basically having the best shooting year of his career, shooting 58.5% from the field. Or Sorry, that is actually in the clutch. So he's just, he, this guy can't miss when the game matters right now. And, you know, he's, I think him and Sabonis have found a good one too. I think they've helped each other's games a lot too. I think Sabonis has helped Fox sort of slow down as a player at, at times. That was the criticism on him, just playing with, you know, almost too much speed and having this tunnel vision. But you have a guy like Sabonis who can be the hub of an offense. And I think that, Sort of has rubbed off on Fox and has slowed his game down and has helped his decision making. So it's a, it's been a good marriage for both of them and just a good marriage overall. Sabonis with the Kings, um, and then this just insane lineup of Fox, Malik Monk, Kevin Herter, Harrison Barnes, and Demontis Sabonis, which is probably their closing lineup. You'd expect is averaging a hundred and forty three point seven points per one hundred possessions, which is in the ninety ninth percentile basically the best in the league so that's part of the reason why they're currently a top five offense and you know I, it's, I think it's sustainable I think that's that's something that's real it's something that it's going to bode well for them in the postseason um, some love for Davion Mitchell here he is uh, in the 91st percentile as far as on off numbers defensively and he is number one in turnovers fourth so I think there's going to be ha there's going to have to be some moments down the line especially in the postseason when games are close and you're going to see him out there on the floor just causing havoc defensively and that's a guy that both me and Gabe enjoy to watch and he's uh you know he's he's playing well for them and another guy quick shout out Casey Okpala 
Uh, this stat is kind of wacky because there's just not enough sample size, but he's the first. He's he's ranked first on the team as far as on and off overall defensive efficiency. And uh, he, I mean, you could see it. He's rangy. He's switchable. He has good instincts. He's really young. He's the rookie that they have. But um, yeah, shout out Casey Paula, and shout out to Sacramento. Shout out to the Beam. They uh, they're definitely going to be a, a fun team to watch in the postseason. All right, sitting as the sixth seed right now in the West with a twenty and twenty record, right at five hundred, is the defending champ Golden State Warriors. Um, and honestly, considering on how this year started, them being uh sixth right now in the west is low-key a w especially considering the amount of time steph has missed and you know just how wonky of a season it's been for them but um right now offensively they rank 17th defensively they're 19th overall net rating they're 22nd that just you know doesn't sound like golden state numbers but those numbers are obviously a little skewed considering the situation that they found themselves in for the first half of the year um, really the stat that jumps out to me though, and I think the only stat that matters, well, there's another stat I'll share, but, uh, the lineup of Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, and Kevon Looney have the best differential in the league at plus 23, and this is a minimum of 200 possessions per game. So their best five and that five that really won them the title is still really good and it's, it's the best in the league. Which is why you don't worry too much when you see them outside the top 20 in defense or, you know, outside the top 15 in offense. A, because Steph has missed a good chunk of time. And B, because I, I think they've, they've uh, I think they get a pass because they're the champs and we know what they're capable of, especially uh, in the sample size that they've even shown us this season. Um, Jordan Poole, a stat on him, not as positive, unfortunately. He is currently shooting the worst in the league from three of all players who have shot at least 100 attempts per game or 100 attempts this season um and in the last 15 games he is at 27 percent, which is that's just horrific um i mean i know they're asking a lot out of him right now without steph which is probably not fair because you know the way that offense is designed it's you know, you're basically telling him to fill Steph's shoes almost. At least that's what it looks like to me. But, yeah, he's, I don't know, he's having a rough year, to be honest. And we all know what happened in the offseason with him and Draymond. That could be part of it, too. But, yeah, I know he's had some scoring outbursts, but it hasn't really been the best season for him on uh, the efficiency side of things. Um, other than that, though, not too much thoughts. Once Steph comes back, I think the second half of the year, you're going to really get a feel for this team. They're probably going to go on a run that I've just been waiting for. You know, that 12-game win streak that all the, you know, really good teams usually have. And I think they're still a really good team. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. I think Steph actually comes back tonight as I'm filming this. Or, I don't know, it's this week at least. At least that's what I think I saw. So, yeah, good to have him back. And, um, yeah, we'll, we aren't too worried about the champs. All right, as the seventh seed right now, we have the LA Clippers with a 21 and 21 record. Right now, offensively, they rank 28th, which is that's very scary. Defensively, they're sixth, which is honestly the reason why they're not a lottery team right now, and their overall net rating is 24th. So they've clearly been having a real turbulent year. I mean, the numbers obviously tell you that, but if you've just watched a few of their games, you would know that it's just been a disaster year for them so far 
one thing that jumps out to me, and this isn't even a stat, but it was uh, something Kawhi said in the post-game conference after they got blown out by Denver. I think it was like their third or fourth straight loss. And he was talking about how he sort of didn't like the approach that the team took in like they were down 30 in the first half and then in the second half Ty Lue benches Kawhi and Paul George and they play Amir Coffey and Terrence Mann and you know guys that aren't you know probably going to get run in big games although I think Terrence Mann should guys that aren't really going to play in big games are basically playing the whole second half and they basically forfeited they forfeited the game after halftime and Ty Lue had mentioned how this was one of those burn the tape kind of games but Kawhi his uh his um, sentiments after the game I thought was interesting because he was like it was sort of about how he just doesn't like the approach of burning the tape and he was disappointed that he didn't get to play in the second half of that game and he thinks that or he thought that those are those are the sort of moments in the regular season in which you have to sort of fight through it and it's you know it's not always about okay forget it we'll move on to the next one he, he was just talking about how you know you really find out who you are as a team and you build character in those 30 point losses where you might get it down to 13 and you know you probably still lose the game but you know you show some fight in those moments and he was just harping on that and I thought that was interesting because a I think sometimes it gets lost that Kawhi you know he misses all these games and it's unfortunate and it's it's almost easy to just be like oh does this guy even really care but that quote in that moment sort of reminded me no this this guy cares about this shit and it also um maybe or maybe not i could be you know i could be thinking too much about it but I, it, it might even highlight a sort of divide just in philosophy that their best player has in Kawhi leonard and the team has and the clippers and that's something that you know, beyond the terrible offense that they've been putting out night in and night out, that's something I'd be more concerned about. But um, I guess some numbers that I wanted to share, which I just wanted to share that because I thought it was interesting, but some numbers is the lineups uh, that they throw out in which Luke Kennard, Paul George, and Kawhi, are on the and Kawhi Leonard are on the floor. And this is 88 possessions, so not a lot, but they are... Averaging 136 points per 100 possessions and allowing 87.5 points per 100 possessions, which is just a whopping plus 51 point run and differential. And again, that's 88 possessions, so it's not a lot. Obviously, no team is ever going to have a 51 point differential or you know be that ridiculous on both sides of the ball. But it does tell you that when those three are on the court, that is a pretty good lineup. And um. I think Luke Kennard should play more. I don't think he's playing enough. I mentioned Terrence Mann earlier. I think he should play more. And I think, well, not I think. I know that if this team is going to really go anywhere, because they have the talent to win a championship, but if they're really going to take it far this year, and you know, this hopefully is the year, because how much times are you going to say, oh, next year, when we get a fully rested Kawhi and PG, it's going to be the year. Like, no, this is... Uh, we're starting to get into the thick of it now with with this uh with this group, but I think if those two guys are just available more in the second half of the season, and we see more Luke Kennard, and we see more Terrence Mann, and I think Batum is probably the best fit, and Robert Covington has just been forgotten about. I think if 
they sort of bring him out of the out of the cask and then play him more. I think you can finally see this Clipper team start to turn it around. But man, right now it's not looking good. And again, that Kawhi quote after the blowout loss to Denver is something that I'm always sort of just gonna stash in the back of my head when uh things don't look too great for this team. But Again, we have a long way to go, and they have plenty of time to right the ship, so we'll see how it goes. All right, sitting behind the Clippers as the eighth seed right now is the Phoenix Suns. And isn't it just funny how two years ago, these teams were in the Western Conference Finals, and you know Phoenix ended up making it to the Finals, of course, but you could argue that the Clippers were a Kawhi injury away from probably winning the championship that year. And fast forward two years later, and both these teams are outside of the playoffs right now. They'll be in the play-in, but they're outside what you know, is now considered the playoffs, one through six. I don't know. It's just funny how, how fast life can come at you sometimes. But Phoenix right now has a 20-21 and 21 record, just a game below 500. they They're the eighth best offense in the league. They're ranked 12th on defense, and overall net rating has them as the ninth best team in the league. Um, really, it all kind of went south when Devin Booker went out and he came back for the Christmas game and played a few minutes, but he was really been out since December 19th. At least that's what I'm counting it for. And since that date, they have been the 28th worst offense in the league. So, you know, for the Devin Booker truthers, that's, that's a stat right there. You hang your hat on just how important he is for that team and just how good of a player he is, honestly. But another stat that I thought jumped out to me was their record in clutch games, which that's the clutch as defined by the NBA as the final five minutes of a game in which, you know, both teams are within five points of each other. And Phoenix's record this year is five and nine, which is tied for last. Uh, And it's even crazier to think about that because last year they were first in the league at 33 and nine and the second best team uh, with the clutch record with the Toronto Raptors who are 26 and 19. So they were far and beyond the best clutch team last year. And this year they're the last team in the league. And obviously that's due to Devin Booker not being there, but also Chris Paul taking a serious dip and just not being that guy anymore. And, now you're asking him to be the number one options. I mean, he hasn't even played that much this season. And in the games in which he has played, it's, it's looked pretty rough, to be honest. So yeah, Phoenix, um, definitely cause for concern there. And the ninth seed right now in the Western Conference belongs to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Same record as Phoenix with a 20-21 and 21, uh, record as of right now. Offensively, they are ranked 18th in the league. Defensively, they are ranked 14th. And in overall net rating, they are 15th. So middle of the pack sort of vibes from that team. Uh, This is a team that I'm sort of... Yeah, I guess... I mean, I know Cat has been out, and that's obviously been a big part of why they've been struggling, especially on the offensive end. But even before the Cat injury, when everyone was out there they were struggling to sort of find their footing and then the cat injury happens of course and then now it's you know all the more reason for them to be bad but I don't know I guess I'm a little bit surprised with how bad this team has been especially in the regular season I was one of the believers in them as being a good regular season team I definitely had reservations on them for the postseason but I thought they would win a good amount of regular season games I mean just because of the amount of talent that they have 
hasn't been the case. Uh, Rudy Gobert, his dip uh, has been pretty alarming, and it's also a big cause for concern if you're a Timberwolf fan because you know you're you've traded for a guy who's a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, and he's still pretty good defensively, but he's nowhere near the top of the league, uh, the top of the league as he used to be. Uh, for instance, he is currently ranked 10th right now in defensive Raptor, which again just measures the efficiency and filters out all the you know all the times on the court in which it's either a blowout or you know guys are sort of just out there for the vibes and not really playing in meaningful minutes, which is why I think it's a really good metric. But he is ranked 10th right now in defensive Raptor, um and you you might hear that and say okay well i mean he's the 10th best player in the league on that and that's still pretty good well at the past three years he was number one and it was like by a pretty wide margin so you're already seeing the dip there defensively which i mean you did not want to see that in in the first year of a what a four or five year contract that he has offensively we already know all the baggage that comes with him on that end um i guess some Something positive to to look at if you're a Wolves fan is Anthony Edwards and the jump he's made. Uh, some stats that have improved for him is last year he was averaging uh, around three and a half free throw attempts per game. This year he's up to almost six. Um, he is shooting at 75% from the free throw line, which is down. And for a guard that has decent enough numbers elsewhere as far as shooting goes, um, shooting 75% is something you want to see him get back up to at least around 80, especially in the postseason where it's, it's you know, it's going to matter. Um, he did get his assists up, though. He was around three last game. He's up to 4.3 this game. And uh, defensively, he just, he looks like uh, someone that's a real plus for them on that side of the ball. Um, there's nights where I just see him taking on the opponent's best players. He's not shying away from those matchups countless nights against jaw he'll take jaw <laughs> and the game against milwaukee a week or two ago he was trying to guard Giannis on the perimeter i mean he, he like the thing about him is he's not like there's no fear in him he he's on both sides of the ball but especially on the defensive side i think is what stands out to me more offensively we know what he can do but defensively he is taking the responsibility of you know guarding the other guy's best player and i think long term that's a really really good sign and obviously this year, too, it's a good sign, but you really hope that A, Rudy can get back to being that defensive anchor that he was in Utah, and that's still, um, the jury's still out on that, because we're halfway through the year, and it's still not even in the top 10. And uh, Towns, when he comes back from his injury, you hope that, you know, he can get back to his old self, and hopefully they can finally get their group together and you know, put together like two to three months of just, you know, good health and hopefully that translates to good basketball. But we'll see. The jury's definitely still out on that team. Next up, we have the 10th seed Portland Trailblazers with a record of 19 and 20. Right now, they are the 13th best offense in the league defensively. They're they're better than they were in previous years. I mean, there were a few years where they were dead last in the league right now. As it currently stands, they're the 17th best defense in the league, so not too shabby on that end. Um, Anfernee Simons, right now he is third in difficulty adjusted three-point percentage. So that factors in shot making, shot quality, and shot creation, and he is third uh, as far as 
shooting percentage goals in that regard. It ranks only behind Steph and Donovan Mitchell. Um, Dame is still giving you 27, 5, and 7 with basically the same shooting splits. And he's still getting to the rim at the same rate he was last year. And the year before that, he's Dame's still that guy. And um, Portland is top 5 in 3-point shooting, so they're a team that... They're going to keep themselves in it just based off the shooting alone. And then shout out Shaden Sharp, my my young bull. Was able to break the rotation, what, a week into the season, which I even I wasn't even expecting that, but that's been pretty cool to see. And, you know, he is starting to become a household name on the timeline now with some of the just ridiculous leaping ability that he's able to showcase. But, yeah, he's, he's more than that. He's more than just a leaper. He can create his own shot. He can do some different things. So... Yeah, shout out Shaden. And um yeah, they kind of came back down to earth. So does so did the next team on uh on the analysis here for the West. But um I think Portland, I, I think they should they should be able to make the plan. I, I mean maybe not though, because the West is really tough. I'm just looking at the standings now, but yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Again, this sort of six or even 5 through 12 in the West, you can even say OKC at 13. It's just so just jumbled up together. You really don't know who's going to come out of it. Um, but it's going to be fun to see. And I think Portland's going to be a team that, you know, they'll be in the mix for sure. All right, next up, and I alluded to them a little bit in the Portland segment, is the Utah Jazz, who are currently 11th in the West with a 20-23 and 23 record. Right now, they are third on the offensive side of the ball, uh, trailing only the Celtics and the Nuggets. So that's, I mean, even this long into the season, I'm still being in the in the top five on that, and it's pretty impressive. But defensively, that's where it's like, ah, okay, I can see why they're not a top 10 team because they're 27th on that end. Overall, net rating has them at 12th. And yeah, I mean, for a month there, it looked like Utah was probably legit, legitimately going to be a top five seed. I mean, you could probably, you wouldn't say they were a lock to be a top six seed, but I, I wouldn't have shied away from saying they were a lock to make the play-in uh, almost maybe two months into the season. But they've definitely come down to earth. And I guess when you think about it, the lack of talent on that roster, it makes sense. And I'm sure Danny's okay with it because this is sort of what his vision was for the team anyways. Um, a guy who definitely doesn't lack um, lack in talent in any department on that. A guy who was definitely not lacking in talent, though, is Laurie Markkinen. And he's not even, like, a most improved player cute store anymore. He's probably going to win that award with ease. But he is starting to become, like, a legitimate... I think he's definitely an all-star. I think if they had a better record, you could honestly make a case for him being third team all nba like he's been that good on a team that is asking so much from him right now and he's just delivering night in night out he had 49 the other night i mean like this guy he's having poster dunks he's doing so much right now for that team it's it's honestly been really impressive one of the better stories this season and a stat i'd like to share with y'all on him is out of all nba players who've had at least 15 possessions per game in the half court, he is the second highest in points per possession, and that trails only Steph Curry. Uh, so first of all, anytime when you're in the same breath as Steph Curry on the offensive side of the ball, you're doing something that's pretty remarkable. But for it to be Laurie Markkinen, I mean, it's it's just crazy to think about because he 
was basically forgotten about on Chicago and and now he's here on Utah and just making an absolute name for himself and has been one of the one of the more funner players to watch this season. So shout out Laurie. You know, maybe they can sneak into the plan. I think it'd be better if they didn't, but he's been impressive. And then Walker Kessler, I didn't I wanted to shout him out. He leads all rookies in blocks. He's just been really impressive on that end. And um yeah. Shout out to the Jazz. All right, next up we have the 12th seed Los Angeles Lakers with a record of 19 and 22. An obvious uh, disappointing first half of the season for them. Currently, they are the 16th rated offense in the league right now. Defensively, they're 21st in the league, which is really where more of the disappointment comes from for me at least. And uh, overall net rating, they're ranked 21st in the league. Um, before I get into some of the offensive defensive numbers for them, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to LeBron who at age 38, year 20, still looks like a guy you want for three straight playoff rounds. And, you know, if you're trying to make a push for the championship, that's, it's probably not five guys you'd rather have over him just for that stretch. Now, if you're talking regular season, you know, plus the playoffs, I can understand why you might have some other guys above him just because of how long and grueling the year is and where he's at in his career. But, man, when it's time to go to war, that that's definitely a guy, like, you know, there's not a lot of names I'll pick until I get to LeBron. I'll just say that. Uh, a stat that jumped out to me is as far as field goals made uh, uh, that are less than five feet away from the basket, he ranks fourth <laughs> at uh, just about seven field goals made per game. So, He's still showing an ability to get at the rim at an elite level, which, again, at that age is ridiculous. Um, he's having these stretches of just averaging 30-point triple-doubles for, like, a week. I, like, the guy is... LeBron's still him. I, really, that's all it comes down to. Like, he's he's still that guy. It's incredible to watch, and it's something that, you know, in the moment, you kind of have to remind yourself, hey, wow, like, we're watching, a, you know, the second-best player of all time. At least that's what I think. Um, so, yeah, shout-out, Braun, having a hell of a year. Uh, some stats offensively that are definitely concerning, and I, I don't see it improving unless they just make some big moves before the trade deadline is. They're currently ranked 24th in three-point percentage at 34%. And that's just such a, you know, that's just a reflection of a very poor job by management. Just, you have a guy like LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and obviously he has been healthy this year, which is just a reoccurring thing, but... You have a guy like LeBron and, you know, year after year, we've seen the blueprint be, at least for successful LeBron teams, is you surround him with shooting and they've done the complete opposite. There's lineups where Patrick Beverly, Lonnie Walker and Westbrook are all on the floor with him. And then there's, you know, that random big, uh, there's another big I'll mention after that I think deserves some love. But yeah, I mean, the roster is just so poorly constructed. You, You don't. You don't trot out a roster that's going to be 24th and three-point percentage when you have LeBron James on your team. That's that's just horrible. And then in the half-court defensively, they're 23rd, and that probably is more so to do with uh, Anthony Davis missing a lot of games, and hopefully he'll be back soon. It's still really no clarity on that, but yeah, I mean, that was a team that for the first month or so looked like they were going to be a top-five defense, and then they just completely fell off the map uh, in that area, which is why I say that that's more so, you know, uh, where I'm really disappointed with them is, is is how poor they've been defensively. 
Uh, quick love though for Thomas Bryant. He's averaging 16 and 10 since the Anthony Davis injury on 64% shooting. He's shooting 55.6% from three. Now that's obviously going to come back down to probably. Well, I mean, ideally, if he can stay at 40%, that's still insane for your center to be shooting that well from three. Um, but yeah, he, he's been balling out in, in AD's absence, and that's a guy who Laker fans, I'm sure, are excited about. Probably a guy who's going to be in the rotation if this team is fully healthy and if they do make the playoffs, which, you know, I, I kind of hope for as a fan. I want to see LeBron in the postseason. I, I think that's just that's good television right there. Um. And then a concerning stat again. I'm going to have to end this on a concerning note for the Lakers, unfortunately. But Westbrook, LeBron, and Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, are, whenever it's those three in the lineup, they are 113 points per 100 possessions, which is the bottom half of the league. Defensively, they're average, which I guess is also kind of a disappointment. But offensively, they are just, you know, like, that's as bad as it gets almost. So... Yeah, they've they've got some things to figure out for sure, um, and I, you know we'll see when when Anthony Davis comes back and he puts together a month or two of healthy basketball. I think it'll be easier to assess this team, but right now it's obviously not looking good. All right, bottoming out the West, we have the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are the thirteenth seed right now with an eighteen and twenty-two record. I think they're going to be eighteen and twenty-three after this loss to the Heat, in which I just watched. Um, as of right now, they're only a half game behind the Lakers and Jazz, a game and a half behind Portland, Minnesota, and Phoenix, and only two games behind the Clippers and the Warriors. Um, and I guess I really just bring that up because I sort of wanted to highlight that they aren't as egregiously bad as these other two teams. The San Antonio Spurs, who are your 14th seed with a 13 and 28 record. And then the Houston Rockets, who have just been an absolute eyesore. They're uh 10 and 30 right now. There's no light at the end of that tunnel, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I mean it's that's easily the worst show in the NBA. Um with OKC though, quick love to SGA. He currently ranks fourth in isolation points uh, amongst players that qualify, and he is first in points per game on tribes, averaging just under 17 points per game. This is a guy who's just getting better and better each year. He's a legitimate all-star. Um, a guy, I don't know if he can be your best player on a championship team. I, I think he could definitely be your second best player on a championship team, though. And Yeah, he, he's he's been one of the more fun players to watch this season. Uh, the Spurs, I'm not even going to go over, by the way, I'm not going to go over the offense or defensive ratings for either of these teams. I guess OKC's 11th in defense. That's kind of impressive. That's probably why they aren't as bad as the Spurs and the Rockets. But as far as all the other rankings, these teams are dead last in all those categories. The Spurs, um, one statistic that I wanted to talk about was um, on Devin Vassell, who... As of right now, he's out with an injury. He'll be back mid-February is what they're telling us right now. But while he was out there, he ranked fourth in catch-and-shoot percentage from three. And this was a, on a minimum of 100 attempts this season. But uh, what I thought was really impressive and has shown his true growth as a playmaker on the offensive end is his uh, points per possession as the primary pick-and-roll ball handler. Uh, last season, he was hovering around 0.73 points per possession in the pick and roll. 
And this season, he's around 1.35. So a significant jump in that area. Just continuing to show his ability to be a more versatile player. More than just a catch-and-shoot guy. Like he, He's a legit... I think he's averaging 20 points per game or was around that before the injury. It's a legit 20 with him. And, um, yeah, that's that's something that Spurs fans, him, Keldon Johnson, Jeremy Sohan, uh, Tyus Jones, they, they got some young talent there. And I think that would probably be the coolest team to see Wimbenyama land on because, A, that's an organization. Like, they're not winning right now. It's not because of, I guess it sort of is the same reason as the Houston Rockets, just lack of talent, but... It's not because, you know, this is not a team. I, I What I'm trying to say is once this team has talent, we know about that organization and the DNA of the Spurs. And, you know, you give them a guy like Wembenyama and you surround him with all this young talent like a Vassell and a Keldon Johnson and a Sohan and Tyus Jones. Uh, I think that team would probably probably be the best landing for him long term. Um, but, yeah, the Spurs... They, they have a shot at him. They got some young talent, but they've been pretty rough this season. And the Houston Rockets, they've been a, just, a, just a train wreck of a team. The coach doesn't look like he really know what he's doing. At first, you kind of felt bad for him because the second he got hired is when Harden requested out and he you know the trade to Brooklyn happened. And, you know, you gave that first year sort of a pass. And this year, I guess it's... It may not be totally fair to say, all right, this is the real year where you want to see him, you know, or you want to see the team improve uh, based off how he's coaching them. But I don't know. From all accounts that I've been hearing from uh, the Rockets end of things, it's this guy doesn't really know what he's doing. I mean, I remember I went to the game in person in which they played Golden State a uh, week before Thanksgiving and Tari Eason, a uh, quick stat on him, he leads all rookies in three-point percentage at 39 percent and this is a minimum of 72 attempts uh this season but Tari Eason was a player who just immediately stood out to me when I was watching them in person against the Warriors and that was a really good game by the way they ended up losing by four I think because Stephen Clay just hit back-to-back dagger threes but yeah Tari was a guy who jumped off the court to me like he was just so impressive the eye test was telling me like this guy is good like he was guarding up he was running the floor he was just so active on both ends and um you know the last six minutes uh steven silas the coach of the rockets takes him out i think he played nicks is the kid's last name i forgot his first name i just know his last name was nicks and like the the fans around me who are obviously more you know knowledgeable on the team and you know kind of know the vibe of the team way better than i do they just immediately were like, oh my God, here we go again. And you, you go on Twitter, you see a bunch of shit about how this guy just has no grasp of the locker room and who he should be playing, who he shouldn't be playing. Jalen Green just does whatever he wants. And then there's also times where he's iced out the offense. Like this is just a team with, yeah, they're really young, but doesn't seem like he's the right coach for that team. And it could be a situation where you just, you know, you're dealt a bad hand to start and it just never works out and it's you know you know you're always playing catch up but yeah the Rockets they've been uh they've been a rough watch but uh yeah shout out to Harry Easton though that, that kid is that kid is a hooper um and shout out Sangoon as well it's another hooper as well like they they have young talent that I think if they get if the organization starts to sort of you know get it together for lack of a better term I think um they could make some noise, hopefully, a few years down the line. Jabari Smith, after a rough start to the season, he's been playing well 
he's been he's been playing better as well so you know there's some hope there at least but yeah that wraps up this episode thank you for listening um we'll see how the second half of the year goes again the way i try to watch is i i I try to follow the numbers but i also want to make sure that my eyes you know I try to watch with my eyes and then I try to use the numbers to sort of reinforce what I'm watching. And if it makes sense, you kind of usually see that in the numbers. And then sometimes there's those aberrations where, you know, the numbers and the eye test are just really, you know, on other sides of the spectrum. And I think that's always, you know, an interesting thought exercise when you're, you know, looking at or watching some of these teams. But um, yeah, we'll see how the second half of the season goes. KD, get healthy. Zion, get healthy. Um. Yeah, and I don't know what else I could say. Check out all our other feeds on the Connection Media, the Wrestling Podcast. Those guys are killing it. Of course, check out me and Gabe on the Richie and Meckle Connection. We've been uh, putting together some really good episodes for y'all the past, uh, say the past like two months, I think. We've been on a hot streak. So definitely check that out. We got an episode coming out later this week with a with a guest and it's probably going to be mainly football with the playoffs coming up so check us out on that feed thank you guys for the continuous support leave a like leave a comment leave a rating again our dms are open if you want to hop on if you have any ideas for the show if you want to have your own show you know me and gabe are really receptive or really open so yeah feel free to reach out and again thank you guys for the support it means a lot and uh we'll catch you soon